We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. That's Vince Sedaro. I'm Brian Driscoll, and we are back to talk some Notre Dame football. And Vince, there's obviously a lot going on in the college football world. You got a national <laughs> championship game coming up here uh, in less than a week. You've got yep. every day, it seems, some big time players entering, the, or at least some former big time recruit is entering the transfer portal. Yeah, no kidding. Notre Dame is expected to have a big time transfer on campus this week, which we reported on on our breakdown, I think Monday. So a lot going on, but we're also going to kind of start taking a dive into the, the current state of the program and then projecting forward a little bit. I put the the 2023 schedule, kind of first glance on the I site today. That. We will just read it, but will, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, we will talk about that next week. We'll have a, a show kind of looking at the schedule. It's going to be challenging. I mean, it, it's in yeah. the, com- the combined record of this year's schedule is even better than what last year's was. And maybe the top three teams aren't as good next year. Maybe that's debatable, but the depth of the schedule is really the challenge. We'll see Notre Dame play their first FCS team. So a lot to get into. We'll break down who's leaving, who's staying, who's coming and going, all that type of stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll do position previews. But the first thing that I really want to look at, Vince, as we kind of dive into the 2023 season is just sort of a look at Marcus Freeman and what we learned and, and what we still need to learn about him. This was originally going to be two shows, but because we mm-hmm. had to miss yesterday's show, we're going to kind of put them into one. And I think it's going to flow better that way too, Vince. I do it's too. just kind of put them together. And so what we're first going to do is we're going to look at the things that we learned about Marcus Freeman this year. And, and what we mean by learned is we're trying to look at it from the standpoint of what can we confidently say that we feel – Marcus Freeman showed his football team is going to be about this year. Not what he said, but Mm -hmm. what he's done. Right. Because I think that's important because, you know, Brian Kelly said things all the time and it never came to fruition. And a lot of football coaches are like that. I I probably shouldn't use Brian Kelly because it's just going to seem like a shot. I'm just making a point that that a lot of times coaches are going to say certain things. Oh, we want to do this. We want to do that. But then it doesn't manifest on Saturdays. 
And I think that's a big part of, of evaluating a coach is what do we see? Yeah. And what do we learn about this team? And then the second half of the show, we will discuss, we'll get into the areas where we need to see growth. Some of the growth is things we saw that we didn't like. And some of it is no matter what happened this year, these are going to be question marks. And these are going to be things that you have to learn, you know, when we'll get into that. So those are going to be the two things that we discuss today. And of course, we'll do a mailbag. So if you have mailbag questions, just put those in the chat. I'll tell you all this. Some of y'all have been putting like mailbag or MB at the beginning of a question. And it's really helpful for (laughs) us to find those. It really is. So uh, if you guys want to continue to do that, it just makes it easier to decipher between what is just a comment in the chat, you guys talking to each other, and then something specifically you want us to address in the in the show. So we'll get in the mail back at the end. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's dive into when you kind of evaluate the, the last year plus. And you're looking at what we've learned about Marcus Freeman and a Marcus Freeman coach team, Vince. And we're going to talk about the things that we believe from what we saw this year, from how they prepare, from how they practice. And then what we saw on Saturday is always the main thing because it's it's don't Absolutely. care what you do in the week of practice. It's what are you getting to show up on Saturday? We're going to talk about some of the things that we learned about Marcus Freeman this year. Most of it's like the, the things we learned that we like that can be the foundation of the program. And some of the things that we saw, you know, can he fix this? That's going to be one of the question marks. And so yeah. to me, I think when I look at this football team, Vince, I think the first thing that we learned about this Marcus Freeman football team is this is a this is a group that's going to respond very well to adversity. And now you want to get to the point where you don't have as much adversity from a winning and losing standpoint, but it's not just winning and losing. That's part of it. And we'll, we'll get into that, but it's dealing with captains being injured, like losing Avery Davis, losing Jarrett Patterson for a time. It's dealing with your starting quarterback going down. You know, there there's different aspects to 
you know, some some locker room strife that had happened at some point in time this season, Vince. I think those are all things you look at and say, boy, there was a lot that kind of went on this year that this team had to show that they could overcome. Sure. And I think that they did. And I think that's the first thing we learned about it. And it, it starts with the injuries and overcoming injuries. You know, but Vince, for me, it, it really comes down to what you see on Saturdays. This is a team that lost to Ohio State in a heartbreaker and then went out and just had a devastating loss the next week to, to Marshall rallied back from that one, three straight games, blowout win over, over North Carolina. Then you, you feel like you've got the season turned around and you lose to Stanford. Yeah. And then, you know, then you kind of come out, you go to the, you go to USC and you lose that game. Your quarterback transfers out. Isaiah Foskey opts out. Michael Mayer opts out. Cam Hart's injured and all these different type of things. And this team comes out in a bowl game and wins. So I think that's one thing we learned about this football team, Vince, is they handle adversity quite well. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> there were so many different degrees of adversity, right, that that we got to witness throughout the season. You, you mentioned injuries, right? Avery Davis goes out preseason. And I th- was it Monday's show we talked about what Avery Davis could have been to this team throughout the year? And it's like, that's a major injury. Just Not from only, a leadership standpoint. From a leadership standpoint, right? from an on-the-field standpoint. I mean, all of it. That's huge adversity, right? So much so that they're like, uh, I'm going to take a defensive player and put him on offense. You know, like, I mean, they they were – Right, because grasping. why, Vince? You were already thin. You already right. had numbers issues. Absolutely. Joe yes. Wilkins gets hurt at receiver in the yep. offseason. Yep. Right? It's another one. Yes. So, I mean, they, they were kind of grasping at straws at that point, and – Xavier Watts never even did he even play a down of offense? I don't think he ever played a down of offense, right? So they overcame that with Sadly. the guys that were in the in the room. I mean, Sadly. which <laughs> I know I I agree with you, uh, but I mean he's he's now locked himself in as a starting safety at Notre Dame too. So I mean I, I'll I'll take that. But so you talk about injury adversity, then you talk about wins and losses, and I and I we talked about it going into the season. You know, there's going to be peaks and valleys for this season from a win-loss standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, from a gameplay standpoint, I didn't think the Valleys were going to be as low as they were. And But they're also, I will also say that I didn't think the peaks were going to be quite as high as they were at times, right? It, when, when Tyler Buckner goes down in game two and you tell me that Notre Dame is going to absolutely dominate Clemson, I that that's a high peak for me. You know what I mean? Going so, for under 100 yards. 85 yards of, of passing. Right. So, I mean, that's a peak. So, it's like there were severe peaks and valleys in this season. And it's very difficult as a coach, as a head coach, as a coaching staff, to keep your team, period, to keep your team when you've got the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And he was able to do that. That's saying something. And to everybody that I've ever heard interviewed, and I know that there was some adversity in the locker room at times during this season. I know that for a fact, right? But every kid that I've heard interviewed when they get asked about Marcus Freeman, it's not the same kind of answer as in previous coaches. Like they, there's just, there's a love for Marcus Freeman. There is a respect for Marcus Freeman on this team. And obviously you saw that when they were trying to get him hired and all of that. But it's different once he gets the role, once he gets the job. And it wasn't all smooth sailing. So being able to keep his team on at least somewhat of an even keel 
and then to finish the way that they did, I think that that's that tells me a lot about his relationship with the players, his relationship with the coaches, and his ability as a first-year head coach to be able to keep things moving in the right direction. Because that is, like I said, the Valleys are pretty stinking low at times. He started his career 0-3, right? And that, th- well, I know, but that third loss was devastating. It's a devastating third sure. loss. And then I have a hard time with the 0 and 3, though. I, I get it. Anytime a coach takes over a team for a bowl game, it's not his team. It's not his staff. I it's not. I, just, I get it. Yeah. But if he would have won that game, it would have counted toward his win. Yeah, but I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be talking about it. People I mean, would have, though. Right, I'm not talking about fine. you. I'm saying people yeah. in general. Well, this is our show, though. I don't care what people. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but that's it's all about perception, too. And sure. there's perception that's outside of us. Because sure. everybody else reported 0 and 3. You're correct. You're right. Correct. And that's my correct. point. Because I completely point. agree with you. That was not his. I mean, he right. literally would have not. I get what you're saying. Now. You're talking about the adversity in which people were discussing this team right. and all that. I get you. He okay. would not have coached that Fiesta Bowl the same way he did. Well, we saw that. that. Was his team. Like, right? just we no, saw that in the bowl game. No right? way. With him taking more control of the defense yeah. in the second half this, and other things. Correct. I get no your point way. now. Yes, yeah. we're, we're good. Okay. Please continue. <laughs> no, this is why I mute myself. So sometimes I just stop myself from interrupting you. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. So, but anyway, I I saw a lot of growth. And I, I think we're going to get to that as kind of a separate point. But the fact that he was able to keep this team and not lose them throughout the season. Because remember the vast majority of these kids were recruited by the last coaching staff, the last regime, right? And to be able to hold on to these kids, not physically like transfers and stuff like that, but be able to keep this team together and to finish the way that they did. And then a microcosm of that bowl game. I mean, you want to talk about peaks and valleys in an actual game itself. I mean, to hold this team together, keep them where they are and come out in that second half and do what they did. That says a lot about the head coach to me. I I agree, Vince, and 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 I think there's multiple times he was on the verge of losing this team if he didn't handle things correctly. Yes, and I Absolutely. think the first I think the first time, and this is kind of one of the things that we were going to discuss later, and let's I think I want to tie it into here is is one of the things he did a good job of this year is just being honest. Yeah, right. Because if you're not honest with yourself, you're Sometimes you're going to. Yeah, you're you're gonna struggle, and I mean, like after the Marshall game, I mean, at one point is like, you know, I, I'm not sure what happened. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that honesty. I appreciate the fact that he didn't kind of go in there and and try to spin it and 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 say, oh, this is the case, and that's the case, and this other thing is all going on, and and he was honest with it, and he was able to sort of identify here here's kind of what happened, and, and the first time it was just about handle the emotions. That's what they needed to do after the Marshall loss. We need to handle the emotions and make mm-hmm. sure our team is is regaining confidence and so what you saw from him over the next 12 you know 12 weeks when you include the bye week and then 10 games and then you know bowl prep it's over 12 weeks honestly is you look at the situation Vince and it's he knew that this team was was teetering on the verge of just complete collapse from a confidence standpoint so what was his mantra you are a great football team you're Owen too. How can you say that? Because he's sitting there saying like, we need to boost their confidence because they're not playing to the potential we think that they have as a football program. And so he went out there and, and, and that was his message. That was what he preached to them. And that's what he knew. But then after the Stanford loss, it was okay. Now it's time for me to step in and say, I'm going to now, you know, some, a little bit of tough love is needed now. Yeah. Right. So be able to read the room that way 
in my opinion, was was savvy for a guy who's 36 years old and is a first-time head coach and had only coached as a defensive coordinator at a Power 5 school for what, one year? One year. You know, so I, I really feel like those are all things that are positives for. Can he handle – because, see, that at the end of the day, Vince, that right there is one of the most important things for head coach to, to be is, you know, you could be an average X's and O's guy and be a great head coach. And perfect example, Dabo Sweeney. Yeah, I don't think Dabble's a great X's and O's guy. Meaning, like he's not Lincoln he understands Riley football. with these. He understands right. football. What I mean it's is, just, like, yeah. like Lincoln Riley's this X's and O's guy, and this real, you know, Dabble's more of a here's who here's what I believe, and here's what this team needs to be. He understands how important it is for a head coach to establish the identity of a football team. And 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 then we've always said this: identity is not what offense you run or what defense you run. It's how you go about your business on a daily basis. That's what I mean by Dabo not being an X's and O's guy. Not that Dabo just thinks, and he's you know, I only know three routes and two run plays. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying right. that's not his emphasis. I mean, he's very involved in the game decisions on offense and all that. But sure. my whole thing is he understands his number one priority is I've got to create the culture of this football program yeah. beyond what our X's and O's and all that kind of stuff is. And for Marcus Freeman to show that was important. And that was one of the questions that I had, you know, is he going to be an X's and O's guy, a scheme guy? I think during the season, he learned that I've got to be more than that. Cause you, you don't know it and you don't know how to handle it until you go through it, Vince. And you can say, well, when this comes, I'm going to do this, but to be able to read the room was important. And when this team needed a kick in the pants and when this team needed some love, he, he felt like he, he tried to handle it differently every time. And I think that's very, very important and, and a very important lesson to learn that he didn't need to go through two or three years to learn that. I mean, he had to yeah. learn that after two games. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, another way mid through the season and to get your team to kind of come out and be locked in in a bowl game where, yes, yeah, South Carolina was ranked higher than Notre Dame. But let's be honest, it's South Carolina. There's not a kids on Notre Dame's roster that are looking like, wow, South Carolina, like on the same level as Georgia and Bama, right. Ohio State, and Clemson. And they came out and and just battled. And I think yeah. those are the things that um that we that that sort of excite me for coach what we learned from Coach Freeman. And I think along those same lines is they're not there yet. They're not there yet, Vince. But it was very clear that Marcus Freeman is desiring to establish more toughness with his football team. And I actually think at times, maybe they went over too far with their practices. Like, I think that he wants toughness so much, and he realized it was so important because, as you and I have said, Notre Dame has not been a physical football team in a while. They've had years where their offensive line was physical, 2020, but their defense wasn't very physical in 2020, in my opinion. They were not a very – they were a soft team in 2021 in a lot of ways. 2019, 2018 – there were parts of the ball, parts of the team that were physical, but it was like the 2018s were the anomalies. They weren't the norm when you look at this football yeah. team in, in the last few years. And it got worse and worse and worse as the years went on. It's true. And I think that that's something where Coach Freeman said, hey, we, we've got to fix this. We've got to become more physical. we got to be tougher. And I think they pushed him a little too hard in practice at times. I, sure. I, I believe that. But I think it was we're doing it in order to establish an, a, a culture of you've got to compete, you've got to battle. And I'm a believer, Vince, that you and you tell me if you disagree with this. I'm actually okay that they overdid it in year one. That's because number one, I don't think it led to like a lot of injuries. It wasn't like they were just going full on scrimmages Monday through Friday. That's not what right. we're talking about. But they right. pushed them past 
really kind of the point that I think they're normally used to and the, and the point that I'd probably would do not in a where I felt anyone's being exposed to harm just I think it just it takes your legs away it just you, mm-hmm. you become more fatigued you're not as fresh and I think at times we saw a team that just wasn't as fresh as it should have been early in the year but I felt like it was because he felt we've got to do this now because it I would be willing to bet that Marcus Freeman believes what I'm about to say it's easier for me to pull back or like loosen up after establishing a really tough regiment than it is for me to kind of be a little bit looser early. It doesn't respond well. And then I got to become harder. So, uh, you know, like that's the yeah. thing for me It's like start hard. And then if I got to pull back a little bit, I right. can pull back a little bit. But if you start with a softer mentality and then you ramp it up, it's going to appear as though you're overreacting to a negative that happened. Oh, well, you know, we didn't play well. So now coach wants us to go right. do this. Right. I think it was wise to do it that way. I'm just curious if they will pull back in a way while also being saying, hey, we still gotta we got we still gotta be tough. We still gotta be physical, we still gotta do these things, but let's find a nice balance between that and also making sure that when we get to Saturdays, we're a fresh football team. So a couple points to that. Number one, I think from a football standpoint, raising the bar as far as the physicality and the toughness and all of that in year one specifically, and maybe even a little bit into year two, to be honest with you, is basically it's setting the bar at a certain place where, look, the majority of this team was fairly young. I mean, you talked about it, right? Eight true sophomores started on offense, right? Offensively. And there's some young guys that everybody's all Twitter about on defense, right? We we know this. And they're going to end up being the foundation of this team moving forward, just like any college, right? I mean, the foundation changes all the time as far as who's going to be, you know, the the rock of the team. So setting the bar where they did does two things. Number one, I think that it was coach-led this year. And then even if the coaches kind of take it back a little bit, it's going to be player-led moving forward. Like, hey, we know what we're capable of from a physicality standpoint. This is where we need to be. This is where we're going to take it. Like, I feel like, okay, we're going to set the bar here as coaches. This is where, you know, as a head coach, as Marcus Freeman, this is where I want it to be. And even if we take our foot off the gas a little bit, now it's up to the players and the leadership to keep us at that level without us having to push those buttons every single time. So I think there's part of that. That, That's my first point. My second point, and it's funny that you bring this up, Brian, because one of the first things you learn when you are in college and learning to be a teacher is that, you go in at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of your career or whatever, it's kind of a hard ass. Like you go in and you have rules, you have expectations, little things you get in trouble for. Like we are setting the bar here. It is incredibly easy to go from here and then to kind of take it back right. a little bit as opposed to the other direction where you come right. in all loosey-goosey, right. everything's and, allowed. And, and, and that's my point. And, and what did we hear about Lou Holtz when he first got hired? First thing he does. Sit up, take your hats off. Right. 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 Like I'm letting you know right now, this is how we're going to be and right. how we're not going to be. Exactly. And I think that you're correct on that. And I'll be honest with you, Vince. This is probably not going to be received well by some, uh, especially players and parents. But I think one of the issue is, issues that Notre Dame had this year was the veteran leadership of some players. Not that they had bad attitudes, but there was still some of a, well, we did it this way before and it worked. We got Why are we doing it year. this way? Yeah, right. 
And and so I, I do think that was an issue at time. And and not to the point where, again, I'm not trying to make it seem like it was this giant cancer and they were horrible players and I'm sad to see them all leave. I'm not sure. saying that. But we also have to be honest about at times, I think there was there was unnecessary pushback from the veterans as opposed to just say, hey, man, how about you just trust us right. and see how it goes? And then, of course, when they had the, the early losses, it was, oh, see, this is, you know, like I had somebody tell me one time uh, that they were on a plane with a parent of a, of a veteran yeah. after one of the losses and like, well, this team wouldn't have lost this game if Brian Kelly was still here. And it's like, that's exactly what you heard from the veterans. Mike, I'll tell you, so you know who never said that? Benjamin Morrison, right? Because yeah. he doesn't know. It's like, right. this is just, right? He was completely bought into what this staff was telling him to do. Yeah. And you know what? Look at what he did. Right. The young running backs were completely bought into what Dylan McCullough was teaching to them, right? I'm not saying Chris Terry wasn't. I'm just making a point of guys right. that had less experience. Now, they both played under Lance Taylor, who's a good football coach. Sure. But sure. because they were younger and it wasn't as established and, you know, Kelly wasn't even there for a full year with those guys, it was, hey, I'm going to trust the coaches. Like, there was some buy-in with Harry Heastan, right? Like, so it wasn't at every position, but there were some positions where there just wasn't the same buy-in. And I think that that's sure. partly why we saw some of the things that we saw. And and so I think that's kind of why you have to, to go pedal to the metal early on. Say, look, I'm not Brian Kelly. This isn't Brian Kelly's regime. And if you want to play for Brian Kelly, go into the portal and we'll play for Brian Kelly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you are seeing a little bit of purging from this football team, if we're going to be completely honest about it, yeah. uh, is because he's going to want people that are bought into, we're going to do it my way. And if you don't want to do it my way, totally fine. But you're going to just not be a part of this team anymore. And that's just really what it comes down to. Yeah. And so I think that's important. And I think that's where that toughness aspect comes from. It, because physical toughness, in my opinion, Vince, leads to mental toughness. Yeah, if you don't if you don't ever get physically challenged, then you're not going to have the mental toughness in many instances to, to then be prepared to handle when the physicality becomes game-like. And that's kind of my issue. Mm-hmm. So I think we did learn that. Yeah. We also saw a coach, one of the clearest things that we ever saw like this year, and we could have led with this. If we were doing this of order of most obvious, <laughs> then this would be number one. Brian Kelly believes in the importance of playing great special teams, something Marcus we Freeman. had not seen in a – I'm sorry. Yes, because Brian <laughs> Kelly definitely does not. <laughs> I was like, what are you um, saying? <laughs> Brian Kelly never bought into that. No. But unlike his predecessor, how about that? Unlike go. his predecessor, Marcus Freeman flat out believes because I was thinking Brian Mason. So that's what I was. Oh thinking God, yeah, that. no, it makes sense. No, and Brian, yeah. Brian uh, with the hiring of Brian Mason, and then the is. emphasis on special teams throughout the year, getting like I actually would have liked for them to play more young guys on special teams, but he was trying to set in a, a tone, and that's something Lou Holtz did very early in his tenure as well is we're going to play great special teams. Now, they're not where they need to be yet. I want to see the return game get better in some other areas, and the kicking's got to get better. But if you're a starter and you're the best guy on special teams, we're going to use you. And you've got to take pride in that. And it got to the point that once they started having success on special teams, it's like they even said during the year, like guys were asking, hey, can I be on special teams? Can I be on special teams? Because you're seeing now how you can impact the game. And I think that's a very important thing. Very important thing because I don't know if some games turn out the way that they do if it's right. not for special teams. Like, does Notre Dame really? I mean, I still think they beat Clemson, but is it the way that they beat Clemson if it's not for special teams? Right? Do they beat Navy if they don't have the block punt that led to a, a score? I mean, there's all types of things that you look at and say, boy, I don't, I don't, 
do do you if you don't have the confidence in your special teams to do that fake, what happens in the South Carolina game sure. if you give them the ball back and you've you've got stops? So it was so obvious to me that Marcus Freeman is a believer in special teams have got to be given more than lip service from an important standpoint. Yeah. Because yeah. we saw this with the when the former coach went down to LSU, and I'm not trying to make this a, a Brian Kelly bash fest, but this is a part of the game. And you look at what cost – what they lost to Florida State by one point. How many special teams miscues do they have in that game? Fumbling punt returns. So many. Can't even make an extra point at the end of the game. Happened against Tennessee. Early early special teams miscues happened against Georgia. There was even right? a like, miscue in the in the Purdue game where they were right. smoking them. Right. So like you're Georgia though, like that's what loses you those games. It's seven nothing. Your offense is driving. You're getting a chance to get some points on the board, block a field goal. What happens? Your team doesn't have the awareness that that ball can be advanced. Georgia picks it up and runs it back for a touchdown, and now all of a sudden it's fourteen to nothing. Right. And you never recovered. That's stuff we saw in their name in the past. You know, you think of the last time Notre Dame played a game in Jacksonville. What was really one of the biggest ne- things that really cost them that game against Navy in 2016? It was the special teams where they did have – they had too many guys on the field, and they couldn't get a guy, Devin Sudsill off the field in time. You get flagged for too many men on the field. It was fourth and three, I think, and, you, and Navy gets a, a first down, and they go down and score. And a game you lost by a point. You know, so it's like those things were constant. That's not going to be the case based on what no. we saw from Marcus from year one. No, and that's and it, huge. And it started huge. with and it started with his insistence on going and getting Brian Mason and making mm-hmm. that a priority. I mean, that that's where it started. If we're talking about his propensity to make special teams an important piece of what his tenure at Notre Dame is going to be and his head coaching tenure you know, starting here and moving on into the future, he made it a priority to get Brian Mason. That was one of the first guys that he went out and got, you know, and I realized that was, there There were not many defections immediately from the staff and that was one of them. And so he had to go and fill it. I mean, I get that part, right? Because who all left? I mean, it was just him. It was just the two coach. It was the head coach and special teams coach of the original ones that left to go to LSU. Right. So that was the first opening that he had, but that told us so much about who he was going to be and where his priorities were. He didn't go out and just hire a position coach, you know what I mean, and then figure out special teams moving forward. He went out and got who he believed, and a lot of outsiders believed, is one of the best special teams coaches in the country. And yes, he had a prior relationship with him that I'm sure helped. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that helped. But... He went and got the best guy for that job that was out on the market. Well, you know what I mean? That was available and brought him in. It was very clear from the get-go, special teams are important by going and getting Brian Mason. Period. Period. And then how do you handle it? Because I'll be honest with you. The players didn't respect Brian Polian. They didn't. I mean, it's Vince, how many stories have you and I heard about that? So many. There's a difference there with Brian Mason because – I mean, he, 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 the kids love him, right? And he's oh, yeah. hard demanding and hard on him, but it's like kids view like getting a starting job on special teams is something to be proud of, right? And that's a culture thing. That's a mentality thing. That's not yeah. just a, I mean, especially nowadays, Vince, so many of these kids, so, I mean, there's kids that, look, let's be real. There's kids that, that Notre Dame signs at other schools and Bama signs that didn't play special teams in high school. 
Right. Unless they were turning kicks. Why? Well, I'm a star. I'm not going to run down on kickoff. It's my chance to take a break, you know, right. or whatever the kid. They and sometimes that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, right. if the kid's a starter on offense and defense and he's your, you know what I mean? Like sure. there are times you need to find breathers. But it's, it's, it, there's also kids that are like, well, I'm a, I was a five star. What the heck am I going to be doing running down on kickoff? But that's not the mentality that they're going to have for Notre Dame. Yeah. At Notre well, Dame under Marcus Freeman. And that's huge. The, and it was given lip service in the past, Vince, but it never actually played out that way. The opinion. best players I always had, and, and I obviously I was at high school, you were at the college level. The best players I always had, they wanted to be on the field all the time, whether it was special teams or otherwise. Like they wanted to be on the field and they are creating that community and that feeling at Notre Dame, which has not always been the case. Now, in the past, there have been some guys that have Chase Claypool, for example. He wanted mm-hmm. to be on special teams. I feel like that was more Chase Claypool than it was Brian Pullian. That's yeah. me. That's what I. That's how I believe it because I didn't see that across the board. You know, there there were a couple of guys out there that were like, "I want to be on special teams. I want to be able to make an impact all the time." But that just what. But that's it's just so different. It's hard to explain. It's so different than what it is now. It, that that's an across the board feeling. Like these guys want to be on special teams. They want to be contributing in any way possible to the ultimate goal. Of being successful, of winning. Yeah. It's different. Agree. Another thing that we saw, obviously, look, there's recruiting is going to be an emphasis here. And and I don't care where it's ranked. This is this is an outstanding recruiting class. No it's going to be an important thing. Uh, I think the, la- the last thing too, Vince, is, is important. And we talked a little bit about this earlier, and I want to harp on it now. I think Marcus Freeman showed a willingness to uh, self-analyze his team and himself yes. in in – like it like real time meaning not waiting until after the season to realize this has got to change right and which is why things didn't snowball this year and it kind of mm-hmm. ties back into that first point about why this team was resilient part of it is your head coach has got to show because here's here's two mistakes that coaches can make Vince and I and I know I think you're going to agree with me on this number one is when things go bad you just change everything we're starting from scratch right and you know we'll use that expression from a you know, as sort of a hyperbolic statement, but you don't just come out and say we were doing this all year, but now we're just going to change everything and try to implement all these new things because we're losing. You're, you're going to keep losing, but you also can make the mistake of erring aside of, Nope, we're going to keep doing it exactly. We're doing it because we, we believed in this and we're, we're not going to change. And we're just going to keep going down this path. Marcus Freeman showed this year that, Hey, look, there are certain core principles that are never going to change. Mm-hmm. But we do need to look at some other things because what we're doing right now is not working. And I think one of the – and this is about your football team, and this is also about your self and, and how you're running your program. And I think one of the things that Marcus Freeman tried to be early on, and this is this is a common thing, I think, for, for young new head coaches, is especially those who actually care about relationships with people, like really arrogant guys don't think about this because they don't care about anybody else. It's what I'm going to do. Marcus Freeman's not that way. He's very personable. He cares about people, cares about families and all that. As an assistant coach, what do you always want, Vince? Hey, look, let me just do my thing. Trust me as an assistant coach to do yep. my thing and we'll be fine. And I think Marcus Freeman was – people kept calling him a player's coach. And what we would say here at IB is, no, he's not a player's coach. He's a coach's coach. And I think that was one of the biggest mistakes that I think he made, to be completely honest with you, is he gave too much leeway to his assistant coaches. And there just wasn't the same buy-in 
from some of the players, and they weren't all kind of on the same page. And after the Stanford game, he kind of stepped up and said, "Okay, we're gonna do, we're gonna make some changes. Now we're still gonna be a team that's about this, this, and this, but we're gonna be more player driven." And I think we still saw some times on defense where that wasn't the case as much. Being like my dad called me, he was like, you know, he's talking about Tommy Reese and, you know, the thing that Tommy Reese needs to prove to him is that he can run a system that is player driven, where he builds the offense around his players. I think we saw that more in the second half of the year, where I think in like the Marshall Ohio State game, it was just kind of like, here's what I want to run and we're going to go out and run it. But I think later in the year, second half of the year was like, okay, here's my team. Here's what I have a quarterback. Here's what I have the offensive line. What are our strengths? And then we're going to play to them. And then one of the keys to the game for us was, which was an unknown at the time, is will Tommy Reese play to who the team is now mm-hmm. and not who the team was during yeah. the regular season? Yeah, going into the Gator Bowl you're talking right, about. Right, exactly. Yeah. And he did. I mean, yeah. we saw it was almost, it was a heavy 11 personnel team. Yep. We saw 21 personnel. We saw 20 per- <clears throat> personnel. I was told by a source the other day that they repped 10 personnel during a week of practice thinking like if, if the need is there and we've got yeah, to right. kind of push things, you know, it wasn't something that they're going to just run out, come out and be a 10, but like if the need was there and they had to throw the football and they had to go tempo, you know, could that, could that have been there? And there were some packages there for that. And it was very much playing to, as we said, Mitchell Evans is going to catch the ball, but you're not building your offense around the tight end anymore. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Yes. And so had, had very impactful catches, but it wasn't huge. Michael Mayer. Third and I mean, 15 conversion, the, the go-ahead touchdown. Right. Exactly, Vince. A- but it wasn't this, it wasn't the focal point of the offense right. when you're building out. It was a compliment right. to the other things. Right. What was the focal point of the game plan? It was the running backs. Yes. Which is where it should have been. And then right. Jane Thomas, who had been their most consistent receiver during right. the year, taking and some that's... shots at Deion Colsey. And we and had RPOs, finding ways to like right. the amount of RPOs finding ways to get Braden Lindsay the football. They got Braden Lindsay the football pretty early, first yes. quarter. They yeah. ran a jet to him. Yep. So it's one of those things, all the things we've been wanting to see, because why? That's what the personnel dictated. Yes. He had a quarterback that he felt could do those things. Correct. And so uh, we saw, I think that's where Coach Freeman kind of stepped in and said, especially defensive, said, hey, we're going to do this. And I think that's why the defense got so much better down the stretch. And then they went away from that in the USC game, and it cost them. Yeah. And I, so I think there's still work to be done. But I think the big thing is, is being willing to to look in the mirror and say, why, what am I, what do I have to do to fix this? What did I do that put us here? And then what I got to do to fix it? And sometimes it's like, no, I didn't do anything to put us here. This happened over here and it's going to get addressed. But sometimes it's like, well, this guy did something. Why? Because I put him in position to make that mistake. Mm-hmm. That's on me. My quarterback threw a pick because I didn't prepare him for what happens if we don't get the look that they showed us during a week of practice. That's on me, not my quarterback. I'm talking about from my experience. I'm not talking about Tommy. For me, as a, as a former, if my receiver goes out there and breaks his route off because he wasn't sure how to handle the coverage they were showing at him because I didn't rep him during a week of practice, that and the quarterback throws it where the receiver is supposed to be and it gets picked off, that's not on the quarterback. That's not on the receiver. That's on me. And I got to know that. And you got to be able to differentiate those things as a coach. And, and for a long time, Vince, that was one of the biggest complaints we had is – Every time something went wrong, the head coach was always looking who else oh, to blame. My goodness. And I really feel like in a lot of ways, Marcus Freeman first looked, what do I got to fix? Yes. Right? And was honest about it and saying it publicly to the point where some people say, I think he's too honest. Yes. And that's a very refreshing thing. And he'll learn oh, yeah. from that. But I For sure. I would rather take a coach who's willing to say, you know what? 
because players will respect the heck out of that. Yep. Because, and it's not just him doing it publicly, because Kelly would always like fall on the sword publicly, and then you'd kind of see what happened behind the scenes. You're like, nope, that's not. But Freeman would then go in there and say that to the kids and to the coaches and those kind of things. Like, hey, we got to do better. And then they would go out there and they'd see the do better in practice. Because you can tell kids, especially Notre Dame players, these are savvy, smart kids. And you can tell them, you can give them all the lip service they want, but if they don't see it in action, they're not going right. to give a crap what you say to them in person. And these kids saw, in a lot of ways, that. Well, and I, and I think we got a glimpse of that when he was defensive coordinator, too. You know what I mean? Which Which gave me at least a bit of optimism when he became the head coach that he would be similar, right? We, you, you know, we've all heard the story about after the Florida state game and, you know, he, he had, had the wrong call in, led to a big play, et cetera, et cetera. And he went in front of the defense. He's like, that's on me guys. I, I have to be better. That's on me. And so he won the defense over that day. You know, if he hadn't already, he definitely won him over that day, but that's only one mm-hmm. half of the ball or one half, right. Of the team moving forward now you're the head coach the offense didn't have an opportunity to see that side of Marcus Freeman really I mean they they knew that he was a good guy and they you know they they wanted him as the head coach and all of that but they never saw that side of him you know you know what I'm saying and they Mm -hmm. had that opportunity to see that side of him this year and I think it only solidified the relationships that he has built with the players with the coaches you know with the entire program top to bottom the most refreshing thing for me is he didn't change from being a defensive coordinator to being a head coach, at least from yeah. what we're able to tell. Well, it, in, a, in a good way. Yeah, there are some areas where he – here's where I'll say this. He didn't change. You're spot on. The thing he's going to have to show as a head coach, however – and well, you know what? Let me hold off on that because yeah, that's, that's, that's going to things in. we don't know but, yet. Yes, right. he personally did not change. And that's huge for me because right. you you've seen it. I know you have when you're a coworker or you know somebody and all of a sudden they get put into a position of power, they change. They change. And I'm not saying defensive coordinator is not a position of power, but you're not the guy. Like the buck doesn't stop with you. When he became the head coach at Notre Dame, that's an awful lot of power, man. And it's very tempting to change, right? We saw a lot of changes in Brian Kelly from beginning to end. Of his tenure at Notre Dame. Some good. Some good. I'm not good. Some right. not good. But changes. Right. I didn't see any fundamental changes with Marcus Freeman from the time that he showed up at Notre Dame as a defensive coordinator to now. I mean, and I'm talking fundamental right. changes with who he is. Right. And see those changes, which is great. He's still that guy. Now, we're going to talk about things that we don't know if he's going to be able to do, right? Because we haven't seen it yet. But mm-hmm. as of right now, to me, that is extremely refreshing that he didn't change. He's still that guy, even though he's now the head coach. And that's got to continue. Absolutely. Right? It's going to yes. have to continue. Because we'll, but, we'll, yes. we'll bring it up if it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, we'll talk about, man, this is not the same guy that he was in year one. You know, yeah. things have changed. And I, and I don't know. If that's... He, he, there will be some changes. I mean, everybody evolves and adapts. Sure. And changes. Like, like, I um, – I'm trying to remember what the show was. It was it was really funny, but the way the guy said it was was um it was kind of funny, but uh I can't remember the show, what the show was that I was watching. But he basically was talking about marriage. Okay. And he goes, You've got to say I you've got to you've got to say I do to mo- mo- multiple people. 
<laughs> Herschel's like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about right now. Like, you know, that I'm trying, what was the show I was watching? But um, they're talking about how, like, it was so he's like, I don't understand what that means. Like, that makes no sense to me. And, and the, the, the guy responding goes, what I'm saying is you're, you're going to change over time. I can't believe I don't remember what show I was just watching it yesterday. You're going to change over time. And, and since you know, this is someone who's been married over a decade, I've been married, you know, we're going to have our, I think 15th wedding anniversary coming up in April, my yeah. wife and I, we're gonna be at 19, and so. I'm not the same guy that I was when we got married. Yeah. I'm not the same guy I was seven, eight years ago as a husband. Sure. And you're not, and Angela's not. And I've got to like, like Angela said something to me today, the other day, it was kind of jokingly. She's like, you know, do you, you know, you, you, you got to stop telling me you love me no matter what. You know, because there's something we were just kind of joking about how I, I wanted to do something more often or not. It's like around the house or something like that. And I was like, no, no, no. I love you for who you are, no matter what. Who you are is going to change and evolve over time. Doesn't change me that I don't love you. But that's the thing is you 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 hear people that say things. I'm like, well, you're not the same person I married. And that's why yeah. the marriage fa- fails. If you thought that person was going to be the same person for the next 30 years, that's a you problem, not a them problem. Right. Right. And, and so it's one of those things where it, it is but you've got to still be at the core mm-hmm. who you are. I'm still someone who values treating my wife with respect and, and, you know, trying to find ways to show her love and do all that. I mean, so at the core, you don't change, but how that manifests and the things that you like and don't like, and all that kind of stuff is going to be different. Same thing with the head coach. You're going to evolve. You're going to change. You're going to, Hey, this practice thing I, I want to do differently. And I want to do this scheme now. Cause I think of this out of the other thing, but at your core caring about young people having an open door yeah all those kind of things have to be still at the at the core of who you are and i think that's something that um we did see from marcus freeman in, in year one because that's when you usually will lose it i'm head coach now i got to do all these things differently right and we're gonna see a little bit in year two because we're gonna look at it from the standpoint of okay now that things didn't necessarily go your way are you then going to overreact at all? So there's a little bit of an unknown there, Vince, sure, but at least sure. in year one, he certainly showed that in yeah. my, my opinion.